Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Oh, I need my notes. It would get ugly. It'd be like last week if I went off my notes, right? For those of you who are here for that, uh, that was fun. All right. So um, I want to talk about this idea of extra. Okay. Oh, wait. First, I need to back up. Preface, preface time. If this is your first time at Movement Church, welcome. Uh, we are talking about something that I think understandably makes some folks uncomfortable. We're talking about our finances. We're talking about generosity. Now, here's the preface. I, I've been trying to say this every week, and I really want to say this today as we wrap up this series. We are not trying to meet some financial goal as a church. We are not trying to increase the money that comes in. We are not trying to do that. What we are trying to do as a people is to, for all of us to embrace generosity. So there's a phrase that we say, a sentence that we say uh, here is this very simply, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. We believe that generosity is better. If you're new, if you don't call Movement Church home, this is your opportunity just to observe and see what we're all about. If you call Movement Church your home, I'm trying to challenge you to be generous here because I think that's a biblical uh, a truth. I think that's a biblical understanding. But I also believe this, according to the Bible, that generosity is not an optional thing. It's something that where God says, if you want to live a full life, generosity has to be part of it. And so it's not in terms of saying you have to do it or else, but God, I believe, is saying you need to be generous for your own good. And if you don't feel like you can be generous here, that's fine. I would encourage you to be generous somewhere in some way, okay? That's, that's a real key thing, all right? So that's a preface there. I want to diffuse that. We're not going to end this with like a big challenge. You're going to have to write out a commitment card or something like that of what you're going to give. That's not what this is about. This is about generosity and us embracing it. But let's talk about that idea of extra. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes it doesn't feel like we have any extra, right? It doesn't feel like we have any extra in our finances. I, I know in my family, we kind of have a monthly budget. And so we, I know at the end of the month, we are, highly, we, are, we are far less likely to be going out for dinner as opposed to the beginning of the month, right, Heidi? Wherever she's at, she wants to go downstairs and do the count. Uh, I know that when we, I'm in that spot, I, I find myself like, I don't feel like I have anything extra. So we're going to do a little extra test, all right? I want you to raise your hand. We're not going to guilt or shame anybody because I said yes to all these things as well. If you spent more than $2 on a coffee this week, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you did that. Yes, you did, all right? If you are in a spot where you got entertained in the last month, maybe you went and rented a movie on demand, or you went to a movie theater, you went to a concert, you went to some sort of show, you went out to eat, and there was something, some sort of entertainment, raise your hand if you were entertained in this last month. Yep, absolutely. Let's talk about clothing. If you went to bed this week, and you have a separate set of clothes just to sleep in, raise your hand. I, I, don't, I don't do this, but this, so us guys, if guys, if you kind of have, you know, you have like de facto pajamas, you have that ratty t-shirt and those pair of shorts that like, like got the rip seam and the unseemly place that you just wear every night. Yeah, that's me too. Okay. Maybe you're in that spot, but we have extra, we have, we have ability to do this. You don't have to raise your hand for this. In fact, don't, but maybe you've been in a spot where you went into your closet and you said, I've got nothing to wear. And it wasn't because the closet wasn't full. The point is, is we have extra. We, we have extra. You know, we used to think that we would cut the cord right on our cable box and we would save money. 
But then all of a sudden we're subscribing to Netflix and Hulu and all these other subscription services. And like, oh, but I want to be able to watch ESPN. And my kids have got to watch that, that Disney movie for the 50th time. And so I got to subscribe there. We have extra. And what the Bible says about people who have extra is very, very clear. What we see here in, in Luke chapter 12 is, is, is a guy who has extra, and we'll see what he does with it. So I'm going to summarize some things leading up to it, and then we're going to read some verses together in Luke chapter 12. But the story starts off with Jesus telling a story about this farmer who had a bumper crop, had a, had a huge crop, had a great crop, and he asked himself, what is he going to do? What shall I do since I have no place to store all of my extra, cro- extra crops? This is a rich person problem, right? He said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I will build extra larger ones, and then I'll store all my extra and my extra extra. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but here's the problem that Jesus points out. This guy assumes that the extra is for him to consume, right? I, sometimes we use words like save and spend, but really, it's about keeping and consuming, right? We're really trying to keep and consume. And if we're really honest, we do a lot of consumption. We consume things a lot. This is kind of our basic operating system. And so we pick up the story in verse 19. It'll be on the screen. And so this guy with all the extras said this. He says, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And at this point of the story, the audience that Jesus is speaking to telling this story would be envious of this father, or this farmer. This guy has got it made. He's got everything lined up for him. He has nothing to worry about. But then in verse 20, the story takes a turn. It said, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have? Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. Then who will get what you prepare for himself? This rhetorical question. Everyone knew the answer was, somebody else will get it. Somebody else will come along and take this. The man had kept all he had to himself, but then he dies, and everything he has goes to someone else. And then in verse 21, he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And then in a few verses down, we see a verse that we read. It's kind of mirror verse in, in Matthew last week. In Luke chapter 12, verse 34, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. See, I want to point something out here. The man is not a fool because he's, because he's rich, right? The man is not deemed a fool once he has a bumper crop. The man is not deemed a fool. So here's the bottom line. If you have a nice car, that's fine. If you took a nice vacation, that's fine. If your house is your dream house, or you're saving for your dream house, that's fine. That's fine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that this is a vow of poverty situation. But this is about what you do with what you have. The man was not called a fool because he was rich. He was a fool because he was not rich towards God. This is about having extra. And when you have this issue, when you have this issue where, where it's not what you have, it's what you do with it, Jesus says, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. See, I think there's something key here. That Jesus is being very clear that money becomes an idol for us. An idol is anything, usually a good thing, that gets placed where only God should be. An idol could be your kids, it could be your country, it could be your family, it could be your money, it could be your possessions. A good thing that you worship in so many ways and put in a place that only God should be. 
And so the man is not a fool because he has money. He's a fool because of what he does with it. We've been using the metaphor, the generosity ladder. And so I am clever, so I set up a ladder on stage to illustrate this point. And so this ladder, this ladder kind of illustrates the steps we want to be taking as people pursuing generosity. And again, this isn't about increasing the amount of money that comes in here. This is about all of us experiencing generosity in a powerful way. But the first reason, there's two reasons I think that you should step into the generosity ladder, that you should pursue this, that you should pursue this for two personal reasons. And the first is this, is that when you pursue generosity, you avoid pain. Who doesn't want to avoid pain in their life? I think you avoid pain. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to this young pastor named Timothy, and he is literally at the church where it's probable that Mary, the mother of Jesus, attended. So imagine this. You're the pastor of a church where the mother of Jesus goes. Like, like you're going to be, like, careful about what you say. Like, there might be some issues with how you lead that community. So Timothy is leading this community, and he's having some trouble. He's young, he's in over his head, and Paul is writing these letters to him, giving him all this practical advice, and one of these points, he talks about money. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, he says, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. He doesn't say money is the root of all sorts of evil. He says money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They have pierced themselves with many griefs. It's not about having money. It's about loving money. It's about worshiping money. We all know this, right? We all know that if we're greedy, we are not good people. We know this. This is something that is just drilled into us. This is a, a value that we hold, yet so many of us, myself included, are fa- we find ourselves pursuing more. We say we want to save. We say we want to save and spend, but really we want to keep and consume. So this generosity ladder, this generosity ladder is about getting away from the pain that comes from this love of money. It keeps us from the pain of, of perhaps working more hours than we should. It keeps us from the pain that we might feel when we're in conflict with others over money. I talked about that in week one, just how many of our interpersonal relationships that are in conflict can be rooted back to money. So the first reason is to avoid pain. The second reason is that we want to do this to be blessed. Now, that's a word that's loaded, and so I'm going to unpack that, so just stick with me for a second. This idea of being blessed. God spoke these words through one of the wisest and wealthiest men in the Bible. In Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with, from your wealth and from the first of all you produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats overflow with new wine. And so what we see is that God never says that you will be made rich. I am not in any way saying if you pray this, if you show up at church, if you give this amount, God will somehow send you a check. Okay, That is a, that is a bankrupt view of God pun intended, all right? That is just a terrible, destructive way of viewing things. To, to give people this sense that following Jesus is some sort, sort of like investment pyramid scheme, okay? That is, a, that is bankrupt. But God does speak of blessing. God does speak of blessing when we are generous. And I don't know about you, I don't always know what blessing looks like, but I know that I want to be blessed, that I want to pursue this blessing. So how do you, how do, you do this? 
How do you take these steps in this generosity ladder? So the first thing that we want to do is we want to give something. Now, again, bear with me. Low tech, but I think it's cool. And I did all this work, so you got to be patient with me. All right. Stop it. All right, give, step one, give something. So I did a little, did a little work. Looked at, our, looked at our numbers as a church. Essentially, there's about 60 households, 60 families that call Movement Church home. You all don't show up on one week. We wouldn't have room for you, so it's probably a good thing, right? There's about 60 households that have called Movement Church home in the last year. They've been here. Of that group, about 30%, best we could tell, we're making some assumptions, we're making some guesses here, 30% don't give anything to Movement Church. No guilt, no shame. Some of that 30%, you guys give cash. We, don't, we can't track that if you don't put it in an envelope with your name on it. Some of you say, you know what, I'm not fully here, I'm not fully here, that, that's fine. No guilt. Some of you might say, I'm here, but I give elsewhere, I'm generous elsewhere, and I feel that's how I can pursue God. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you on that. But about 30% of us don't give anything. And so that, that can be kind of disheartening, but it's also encouraging. It's encouraging for a couple of different reasons. Statistically, we are a generous church, which is ridiculous because we're a young church. We're a young church of young families predominantly, a lot of young families in here. Y'all keep having babies, you know? We, we got a, yet a young church of people that are maybe newish to the faith. They're, they're, they're coming back or they're, they're, they're suddenly pursuing Jesus again. Wonderful, great thing. But statistically, those folks give less. But looking at national trends in American churches, American churches, we're average or above average in all of those metrics. So it is encouraging. Okay, I want to say that up front. And it's also encouraging because 30% compared to most churches in America, that's low. Usually it's about 40-45% 40, people that don't give anything. So I look at that 30% and I say, you know what? We got room to grow. Not so I can get a raise. I'm not getting a raise. Not so that we can, we can put, like, do like, more lights and like, like smoke machines and like, do like a, a hologram or like Tupac or something. That's a three-year-old joke, but there you go. Um, it, it's not for that, but so that we can do more as a church. That's what all this is about that we can pursue our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus, that we can pursue our vision as a church, that we want to be a church that would be missed if we disappeared. We are committed to being generous as a church. About 12% of everything that comes in goes out the door. Local projects, future church plants. We want to increase that. We want to continue down that path. We also want to think and dream about this idea of, you know, we got all these kids, so we can, we got to do movement kids so well. We got, to, we got to really kill it in that area. We got to just do great things there, do great ministry there. But we also got a bunch of older elementary kids that are going to be teenagers soon. We have teenagers here. What are we going to do for them? How are we going to help them find and follow Jesus? So we think about a youth ministry, a student ministry. What does that look like? Those things can be done without any investment, but it sure does help if you have some investment there. So those 30% of you, maybe you're in that spot. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just saying, if you pursue generosity here, this is, these are some of the things that would happen. But I will say this, if you're not pursuing generosity anywhere, you're missing out. This isn't a salvation issue. This is a full life issue. God loves you regardless. You can be saved. You can get your ticket to heaven. You can be accepted by Jesus fully, 100%. I have total confidence in that. But Jesus, I would think, would say, is like, you're missing out. You're missing out on something here. So that 30%, I think, is huge. So number one, step number one, give something. Maybe for you, you need to pick a specific amount. 
Maybe you need to think about this. You need to do the hard work of looking at your budget. And if you don't have any income, if you're unemployed, if you're, if you're in a spot where nothing's coming in, you, you can't give a percentage of zero. So you're off the hook. But maybe you need to find a spot where you say, where am I and what can I do? What's my extra? How am I giving back to what God has given me? And I challenge you to start with this. Maybe it's 100 bucks a month. Why 100 bucks a month? I think if you're at zero or less than 100 bucks, I think 100 bucks, you notice it, right? I think you notice 100 bucks a month. I think you might have to change some habits to get there, to start there. But I encourage you to start somewhere. Now, if you can't give, you can't give. But pursuing generosity is better. All right, step two. Let's go back to our pie chart here. Aren't you proud of me on this one? Look at the circle. It's so nice. Yeah. Step two, give generously. Give generously. Again, we're above average looking at other churches. When we say give generously, we're talking about people that are getting close to that tithe number, that 10% number. Okay, a tithe is, is this biblical idea of giving 10%. And this comes from this idea that 10%, you notice it, you feel it, we give what comes in first, we give 10% back. I remember in Sunday school growing up, which I did not like Sunday school, I didn't like church. That's why we do church the way we do, because I don't want to do like church I grew up in. My mom doesn't listen to the podcast, and if she does, she knows it already. 10% was looked like this. We got popcorn. Got a bag of popcorn. I've always been a chubby kid. I love the popcorn in Sunday school class, right? And so we get a plate of popcorn. They say, you can't eat the popcorn. You can't eat the popcorn. You got to sit there and look at this. You got to count out all the pieces. And the, and the guy went around, our teacher went around, and he says, oh, look, we, we passed all the popcorn, but Johnny over here doesn't get any. So he takes 10% of everybody and gives it to them to illustrate this idea of tithing. And tithing is really easy when you're talking about popcorn or you got 10 bucks. And you say, well, I can, I can give a dollar and do, can live off the nine, no problem. But you start adding zeros, and those tens become hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands. It gets a little tough. It gets a little complicated. But God does not see that complication. God does not get caught up in that. So those of you who are in this spot where you are giving a percentage, maybe you're at that 10%, or maybe you're pursuing that 10% number, thank you. Thank you. You guys are doing incredible work on behalf of your generosity. Your work is fueling things that are happening here. But this idea of of, of giving more, of, of taking a step of generosity, understands this, that for us, generosity is better. The generosity is better. Now, you might think that 10%, and you're doing the math, and you know you get paid in a year, and you think, I can't part with that. I can't part with that. How am I going to do this? I said there's all kinds of bankrupt teachings about this sort of thing. And one of the verses that I think is twisted all over comes from Malachi, this prophet. In Malachi chapter 3, maybe you've heard this before in settings like this. In Malachi chapter 3 says this, verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. This verse gets kind of twisted around, and they say, well, if you give, you're going to get back an equal measure or tenfold or different things like that. And well, First, the, the, the Scripture doesn't even talk about money. It talks about food. 
And so the, what's going to come from you is a blessing that can't be understood or can't be quantified. It doesn't say that's going to be money. And Malachi was a prophet. Sometimes we think of a prophet as someone who like, looks to the future and predicts things. A prophet was more someone who gave incisive, clear, di- uh, kind of a defining things that are going on, pointing out the wrongs in the current situation. And so Malachi is writing in a situation where the temple whole idea of tithes coming in that would be used to fund what was happening there and take care of the poor was being skimmed off the top, where people weren't being taken care of. And so Malachi is, is, is literally kind of, kind of crying out here about the inequality. He's crying out here about the injustice of seeing people who should be taken care of by the temple not being taken care of. And I can imagine that Malachi was having this conversation with some of those leaders to say, but if we do that, we are not going to have enough. We are not going to be able to provide for ourselves. And he says, don't you understand that our God is not a God of scarcity? God's love, God's blessing, God's grace doesn't run out. God is a God of abundance. You cannot put a limit on this. Your whole thinking is totally bankrupt because you are saying there's not enough when God says, I am enough. And so what we see here is this idea that when we are generous, God does bless us. That doesn't mean money, that means blessing. And the third, the third step, we have about 10% of our people, 10% of our households that I would say are in that 10% plus. I think they give extravagantly. And that's making a lot of assumptions based because I don't, I don't have your W-2s, I don't know what you make. But I think about the, how people are giving, and I look at people who are giving, I think that 10% number is pretty close. Of people who are giving more, they're giving extravagantly, not out of compulsion, but because they are trying to pursue generosity. For those of us who have made that point, that, that third step, they've, they've kind of pursued this. They, they are understanding that they're continuing to pursue generosity. I think for so long I had this idea, well, if I give 10%, then, then I'm good. I've kind of paid my tax. But God has radically changed the way I view things, and, and generosity is something that I have to pursue. I feel like God is calling me to that, and so my family, we pursue more than 10%. And as you move up the ladder, what I have found is that your heart desires to do more. That being generous is a privilege, it's a joy. You don't have to be rich to sit up there. You've seen the truck I drive. You don't have to be rich to do this. You don't have to be rich to get up there. You don't have to be rich to reach that top rung. But you have to have a plan. You have to pursue generosity. You have to be in a spot where you want to see this happen. So as I wrap up here, I think it's really important for me to say this again. Generosity is better. We don't want something from you, we want something for you. In the same way that I would say that you should live a life of forgiveness, that you should live a life of without bitterness, that you should live a life in harmony with others as best you can according to the scriptures. As I would say that you should pursue Jesus, that you should live in community, I would also say you need to be generous. That it's better. Movement Church is not in a dire straits financially. In fact, we're the strongest place we've ever been. We don't have this big building campaign that we're going to ask you to take part in. But what we do have is this. We have opportunity here in Newport. We have opportunity here in Northern Kentucky to do things, to pursue this mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. I am tired of churches having bad reputations, reputations they have earned. 
I am tired of people rolling their eyes or not even considering church as a force of good, of love, of truth. I'm tired of people thinking of church as an afterthought. Not because Sunday morning is so important, but because following Jesus is. And I believe the only hope of the world, the only hope is that Hosanna, that one that we call, say, save us. And when we are in that spot where we are saying, God, I want to be close to you. I want to experience the salvation. And this salvation is given so freely. Our only response is to live a generous life, a life of love, a life of grace to share. The band's going to come up as we close things out. But we are reminded of this. There's this, there's this poem, perhaps a hymn, that we read in Philippians chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul is writing to this church, and I think he's quoting back something that he heard at that church. Maybe a local artist had kind of come together, and they, they, they put this uh, to, to music even. They, they, this is something that maybe the church kind of said or sang together. And he quotes this back in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. He says, he says this about Jesus. He says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. See, the generosity that Jesus gave was at a cost, right? I think we can all appreciate this. We can look to this and see that the generosity here was, was paid for with a price. And that price was the, the suffering that Jesus experienced. That price was, was paid for by the blood and the agony of Jesus. And it wasn't wasted. It wasn't wasted. We see this great injustice, Jesus on the cross. And I think one of the things that we can take from that is to say that all injustice can end right there. The most unjust thing you can imagine can end right there. When we see a perfect man willingly go through that. Not to just prove a point. Not because God told him to. Not because he had to do this to get people to change their behavior morally or ethically. He did this out of love. I think Jesus on the cross wasn't fully sure of all the ramifications of what he was doing. I think that God had kind of hidden that from him so that when Jesus was there, it would be that free gift that he was making, that he was giving up, that he was being generous with. Guys, I want you to be generous not because I want this church to have more money. I want you to be generous because when we are generous, I think we begin to understand. We get another glimpse of the character of Jesus. We celebrate that generosity here at Movement Church every Sunday. We celebrate it by taking communion. And I don't know what tradition you...